There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella which is just a very extra way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. I'm Dios FM. And I am Mala Muñoz. Locatora Radio is your prima's favorite podcast hosted by us, Mala and Diosa. We're two IG friends turned podcast partners, breaking down pop culture, feminism, sexual wellness, and offering fresh takes on trending topics through nuanced interviews with up-and-coming Latinx creatives. Known as Las Locatoras, Las Mamis of Myth and Bullshit, and Las Porcasteras Peligrosas, we were podcasting independently since 2016, but joined iHeartMedia's My Cultura Network in 2022. This year, we're continuing to share stories from the Latinx community pa todo el mundo. Welcome to Season 8. Are, Are you listening? listening? Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome to Season 8 of Locatora Radio. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. You're tuning in to Capitulo 186-186. Last time on Locatora Radio, we had an end-of-the-year check-in. Go ahead and listen to that episode, leave us a review, subscribe to Locatora Radio, and share with a friend. So we're going to jump right into today's episode because we have a packed episode. We're going to be talking about transformative justice and what happens after a call-out, a public call-out at that. Once the dust settles, what do you do when you're at the center of a call-out? How do you heal? How do you move forward? Last year, Doris Anaí Muñoz was publicly called out on Instagram in November of 2022 by people in the local creative scene of Los Angeles. Many of the initial social media posts have since been taken down in the year since the initial call out. But some people who worked on projects with Doris, most notably the Disney Miha documentary, claimed that they were manipulated and exploited. A year later, this will be the first time Doris talks about the call-out in an interview with us here on Locatora Radio. When Doris's team approached us about having her on Locatora Radio, we were interested in hosting this conversation because we've seen the ebb and flow of call-outs over the years. Since 2016, and definitely before, but at least since the existence of Locatora Radio, we have seen a number of call-outs on Twitter, on Instagram, but we've actually never seen those callouts 
result in public transformative justice. But social media callouts in our experience tend to take place online for the most part, and they stay there. So what happens after that? And I think that that's the framework for today's episode. We've seen people disappear from social media completely. I can think of a handful of people that have completely went off the grid or on the other end, continue on like nothing ever happened. And we are not here to play judge or jury. Nobody is on trial here. We're not like dissecting evidence. We are not deciding whether or not claims are valid or not. We were not there. We weren't working on the project. And um, we also are not going to address like every issue everybody has ever had with Doris ever. We're pretty specifically talking about the the Miha documentary um, and the issues surrounding it. So we hope that you, you know, listen to the whole episode and listen to the whole interview. And thank you for tuning in. We're here in studio with today's guest. Everybody, please welcome Doris. And can you please introduce yourself for our listeners? Hola, hola. My name is Doris Anai. I am an LA-born, SoCal-raised, Mexico City-based singer-songwriter, former music industry veteran, (laughs) I guess, at this point. Um, And, well, here I am today. Doris just released an EP titled Por Las Buenas, which is a follow-up to her previous EP. Aprendiendo por las malas. After the very public falling out, she moved to Mexico to disconnect from it all, reconnect with her creativity, and work on healing. There were a series of posts made by different creatives like related to their collaborative work with you. Mm-hmm. And I would love if you could just share with us, like, girl, what happened? Yeah. You know, what happened and what prompted the move? What happened there with the with the posts? And, and how have you worked through this whole process in the year since then? I was a protagonist um, trying to steer away from the word subject of a documentary called Mija. And that was independently made over the last three years, premiered at Sundance last year, then sold to Disney a couple of months after. And pues que te digo. <laughs> um, it was a whirlwind after Disney bought the film. It was a cocktail of situations that had to happen that finally pushed me. I've been feeling called to move to Mexico for years, and I think I always just told myself, I'm like, now's not the time. Honestly, just making excuses for myself. And then last fall happened in a way that I would have never anticipated. Like, the film was delayed in September, the same week that I found out my grandma was going to pass away. And... So ushering in a month of mourning, and then my grandma passed away in October. And then I went through a really horrible breakup, betrayal, that I understood why people need to move after really severe breakups in their life. Never really understood it until that moment. And then literally weeks after that was when everything exploded online. Things came to a head when the film was supposed to be released, and the day before the film was supposed to come out on Disney Plus, I got called into like an emergency Zoom that the film was going to be delayed a week and that they couldn't tell me why, but that they were working on it. And at this point, I had no idea what was going on. A week later, still no news as to, you know, the film is not going to come out on the week push date. 
and that they said that they'll just continue to work on it and let me know. It wasn't until a few weeks later that I found out the reason why, and I think those are personal details that I can't speak to. And then I understood the severity of the situation and why the film wasn't going to be released. And then I find out that the film is edited according to what was asked of and still continued on to try to still be released into the world. And when I did one last post about the film screening for a LACMA series that Josh Kuhn was curating and we did like a panel with him for, I had stated like this is like my last public appearance with the film. I still have no idea what the future of the film has to hold, but here you go. And this is me thinking or actually knowing that the film had been edited, redelivered on the director's dime to then be distributed on Disney Plus. And then that's when the chaos ensued and I received a comment calling me out on like why am I still promoting this film if it has caused harm to to others involved in the film. Me thinking or me knowing that what has been asked of has been complied with in order for the film to still be released. I then deleted the comment. We're going to be accountable for that, right? I deleted the comment, and I think then that unleashed my past of being a conflict-avoidant person. And that's what I know 1,000% that, like, I take ownership for. I think being a young leader, you learn through a lot um, in real time. You fail over and over and over again. It's trial by fire. But not until it's taken publicly, that's when you really feel like the crushing weight of it, right? And, well, yeah, that's when I saw post after post, comment after comment, and it got out of hand in a way that really broke me. Um, And I don't think anyone can really prepare you for what that feeling will do to take over, like, your whole nervous system, you know? I felt like I wasn't even like my right mind for like 72 hours minimum. But when you are publicly being held accountable for something that you don't have all the answers for, to try to put a coherent thought together within like the usual, like people are like, it's been 24 hours. Like people were on Instagram live saying, it's been 24 hours, she hasn't responded. Meanwhile, I'm like trying not to like harm myself um, and not believe fully what is being said to affect like the worth of my life. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, this is the first time I'm talking about it. So, or on the record, I've talked about it a lot in the last year with my loved ones, my close ones, with colleagues, with folks that I offered like to like, hey, I haven't heard from you. I don't know if you, what you feel about me, but like, I would still love to like have you in my life or for you, for you want me to be in your life. So if you need me to talk about what happened, I'm an open book. Feel free to ask me. And like in that moment, I had to like fight the urge to want to post every single receipt that I had to defend myself because I know that I was just going to contribute to the narrative that was already being painted about me. And to have to address like the nuance of every situation case by case, boys, 
how how do you do that when you're not even right? Yeah. Thank you for uh, taking us back to that time and walking us through the the film and what was going on with that and the once the call outs and the post started to come in. I'm so curious about like what was your next step? You know, once you sort of the dust sort of settled and it was all laid out in front of you and everything w- was written and what did you do next? I mean, I first had to like take definitely take care of my mental health. Um, to be honest with you, I wanted to check myself in after that happened, but I couldn't afford it. Um, and I was surrounded by like friends and family care at that time, um, like around the clock. Um, I knew that I had to be in the right state of mind to be even to even try to find a next step forward. Like, how am I going to handle this situation if I don't even want to be alive? I'm an abolitionist, like, first and foremost. And I knew that what I was going to have to step into was a transformative justice process. And that's what I believe in, and that's what um, a lot of people who did post, I thought, believed in as well. Next step in. Why, in your perspective, did it get to the point that people felt they needed to ca- to do a call out? Why do you think it got to that point? It first started with the film, right? And the post that was made about that and really positioning me in a place of power that I am the one who is accountable to the harm that has been caused due to just how the film played out so that that's that's one step right there right like Doris is responsible for this film so let's lay that out right there And then it brought out my past, where as a young leader, I struggled with conflict resolution. Um, I was spread so thin. I put way too much on my plate at a very young age. I started a business at 23 years old, not going to business school, just like running off of a vision and a whim. And I think anyone who is an entrepreneur, who is a creative, understands those first few years of struggling and and learning through failure and especially when you're collaborating then within community you know you're calling upon there's that's the next layer you're calling upon favors from your friends uh, people showing up for you um, in ways like giving homie rates or being flexible with you or being more understanding than I think a typical professional relationship would be right mm-hmm. um, and I think those are like really like the three pillars of what went down the film my past as a manager, um, and then this last year of my really first year of expressing myself as an artist, as an independent artist at that. Um, and I think, what's the word I'm trying to find? Um, per, not per, perception of all of a sudden Disney's involvement. I think them thinking that there's like like a lot of money behind that. And I think like to make it very clear, I think y'all as journalists know this, but historically documentary ethics, documentary subjects do not get paid to tell their story. That would tamper then, right, with the journalism ethics of telling your story because then you would then be a paid actor, right? And there has been lots of conversations surrounding the ethics of documentaries and uh, director, quote unquote, subject relationships, because it really is a collaborative process if you're telling your story. 
and especially if you're doing it independently and then it gets sold and things like that, right? There, there are loopholes that directors do find or filmmakers, producers do find to then compensate certain, you know, folks that were then, that told their stories through documentary. I think especially documentarians who make work about really like traumatic experiences, right? Um, about like border stories or families being separated, things like that. They always, from what I've heard and I've done a lot of research into this, is that like they feel like, okay, is me telling their story actually helping them? You know, not just that their story is in helping, giving hope to everyone else who resonates. But in this case, with the kind of film that was being made, I know that the team felt like, okay, this film being made is going to launch, help launch this person's career. And so this is going to give, like, anyone who's entertainment knows the power of visibility and how can that absolutely catapult your whole life. And I think that was the true intention behind this, was uplifting this whole L.A. Chicano creative community, that this was going to uplift the work of us as a collective on a global scale. I mean, you know, the film was made independently. I had no idea what was going to become of it, right? If it was going to even premiere at a film festival or, I mean, there's a great team behind it, but you never know. And I think the cards that were dealt to us from the Sundance premiere to the Disney sale, I think people had a lot of perception of like what really went down or what were the motives behind it. And especially when it comes to, I think, money being involved in that. Like to this day, I have no idea what that film was sold for. I wasn't privy to that knowledge. I wasn't a producer on that film. I signed the same release form that everyone did, that everyone had counsel for. And I think that was like the first tipping point, right? That where what was being, one of the things that I read about me was like my past as a manager, right? That I am of like how negotiations and contracts work, right? So then that's, again, putting me in a, in a position of power of responsibility over this, but I fought to be a producer on this film years ago. When this film first started, I was advised to. And then I had to accept that that wasn't going to be my reality for this. Mm-hmm. I do see like where things went left in the position that I was put in because I did bring in people to be a part of this, right? Whether it was the folks that were in my world, first and foremost, right? Like This film wouldn't have happened if my family didn't say yes, first and foremost. This film is an immigration story. This film was about an undocumented family who got separated and then got reunited. The music, the community was like that Trojan horse, right? To be able to tell the story and to resonate with a wider audience, right? Or I mean, it was exactly the the intertwinement of my life at that time. And so then again, yeah, it puts me in this position where I had to not only like ask my family to say yes, to be a part of this, because if my brother who was deported didn't say yes to share his life, this film wouldn't have happened. When this film first started, my parents were still undocumented. If they said no, this film wouldn't have happened. And then it was the extra layer, right, of my career, of those who I was managing at the time when I first started this film. So summer 2019. 2020, I parted ways with my biggest client. Then I closed my company and then transitioned from managing to mentoring, which ushered in this new person in my life that then director fell in love with and wanted to tell her story to support her because she saw the parallels in our lives. So then that layer happened. 
And then you go into post-production. And then bringing in the collaborators that bring the narration to life. I narrate the whole film based off of interviews that I did over the years, old journal entries, old Instagram posts that the director dug up. And then there was obviously writing consultants there and contributors that were a part of that, that I really fought hard to be a part of because I wanted our community's voice to be within the fabric of this film. I wanted this film to really be for us by us. That was the pure intention behind it. But then you bring in these institutions, these perceptions, and then the eventual fallout that became public. And then you match that with like any unresolved conflict. And like we all know that unresolved conflict turns into resentment, right? And then I think that just bubbled up into a lot of my past that then came to the surface, a lot of stuff that should have been handled privately that I should have initiated, matched with something that was taken publicly that I learned my lesson from the past of being an avoidant person and trying to find the healthiest avenue of resolution within now this realm of my life. I was like, all right, I learned my lesson of being super afraid of conflict. You know, I did the personal deep work to understand why I have these traumas surrounding conflict and what that's rooted in and then how can I apply that to my life as a, a person and my interpersonal relationships to my professional relationships. And I'm like, all right, bet. We're gonna continue hearing from Doris, but before that, a word from our sponsors. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I'm really interested in the detail about like the releases and the contracts that everybody signed. You're talking about you signed the same releases of, as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I remember seeing specifically in the comments and the posts was these statements of like almost an expectation that you counsel people. I remember saying to Diosa, like, it's fascinating this these comments specifically about the contracts because like at least to my understanding, in the state of California, in order to give someone legal advice or review a contract with them, you have to have a license to practice the law. Like, you're not allowed to give legal advice if you're not a lawyer, you know, like point blank period. So that in particular stood out to me about like the flavor of the call out, so to speak. Why do you think folks had this expectation that like you review their contracts for them? I think because of the position I used to hold, you know, um, as yeah, as, as a manager, as, as a producer, you know, I mean, not a producer of the film, but like I used to produce concerts and events and things. Right. And so the position that I held in a lot of these folks life was like very differently. Right. Like I was um, a supervisor amongst my own peers, you know, for a long chapter of my life. And now with this film, it also ushered in like the artist like chapter of my life where I like then delegate these things right to my team so that way I mean we all know this is like I think you both as creatives to understand this where certain things you both cannot touch mm-hmm. you know you cannot handle um I will say there was one contract of a artist I used to manage that then technically I facilitated because I had to pass that over to his attorney to Greenlight mm-hmm. that then my assistant at that time then confirm to get him to sign and then pass that over. And that's like, that was one of the things that I wanted to post receipts of and things like that, that I knew that at that time was not going to help me either way. Like it was, it was in too deep. Mm-hmm. Like if I tried to post anything and be like, oh, mira, look what she's trying to do, you know? And, you know, I think to usher in some kind of like transformative justice language, like that's called defeating frenzy. That's mm. that's the mob mentality that everyone wants to just like jump in on and like contribute their their latigazos yeah. to. They want to throw their stone. The, the pylon well. is we've seen year after year, time after time, pylon after pylon, and it's very um, it's there's a predictability to it. You know, it's like once that spark is lit, like it's a wildfire now. Mm-hmm. And I think um, what was also fascinating to me is at the end of all of it, like and we're reading and we're looking, and it we couldn't figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, it, because it was very sort of like it seemed very personal and there was not an explicit, to my knowledge, there was no explicit like I was hired and promised to get paid this much. I did my job and then I wasn't paid. Like there was nothing as straightforward as that, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I'm so like was there just to like ask the question and like get the clarity, like was there someone who was promised to get paid to do a job who fulfilled the job and then didn't get paid? No. Like, I'm, I learned my lesson where it's like, cuentas claras, amistades largas, right? Like, 
I I wanted to see that. I'm like, all right, anyone who hasn't had an invoice paid, stand up, you know, like please post your receipt of like of countless emails or something that you've been chasing me something, you know. Um, I think, yeah, like I said, it got very convoluted with a lot of nuance of situation by situation, whether it was the film or my past as a manager or my present as an artist. And the question that y'all are both asking about what happened, a lot of people asked that, and I even asked that, because we ushered in a transformative justice process, right, to reach out to every single person that made any post, you know, a statement. And only one person showed up. We asked Doris to connect us with the one person who participated in the transformative justice process, but due to confidentiality reasons, it was not possible. We also asked to speak with the mediator, but they're on sabbatical. The firm Doris hired is MMG Earth, an award-winning research and change management firm that helps people in the private and public sectors transform their communities and global societies. How many invitations would you say you sent out? How many invites? When I first started, I started with like a priority five. Like these are my, these are five of priority. These are the people who took like a really firm stance online. And then I did another layer, like we did layer by layer as we first started to debrief, right? I mean, we'll get into what a transformative justice process looks like, but yeah, we reached out to countless people, you know? I think like even people that I saw like like a comment <laughs> and I'm like, do we have to talk about anything, you know? I really wanted to cover my all my bases when it came to that, but I only had a conversation with, with one person and that conversation had to be split into two sessions to really fully understand. And what I gathered from that conversation is the same thing that like a friend of mine who had a conversation with the same same person and had the same sentiments of like well what did happen you know and even after having that conversation it's like well you could that could have been a phone call and I also this is also interesting to me because I think like in our like little creative community the word that the word that we've been using more is call in and I'm curious, like, why do you think that you received a call out as opposed to a call in? And what were they asking of you? What was the ask? What did the folks who called you out want to see from you? What did they request from you? There was no call to action. Um, I think it was like a full like removal of community. I think it's just like to like air whatever they needed to air out and be like, I guess more of like a warning, like, or I don't know, a warning, like a, this was my experience with this person and, but I'm not gonna be clear about what it was, but this is this is what it, what it was. I don't know, it's, I mean, even trying to explain it, I feel like I'm stumbling over my words because there wasn't, it's, it's still confusing to me because I didn't have the conversations that I wish I got to have. Did you hope that people would have said yes to this transformative justice process as mediation of the five that you reached out to? Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially the five, because those five were like definitely like, I think the pillars of like what lit the fire, right? And for it to come to my attention in such a way, and then the trickle down of all the things, but like, absolutely. I mean, I financially invested in this transformative justice process. This isn't free for me to do my due diligence, right? I'm like, okay, it came to this point. Well, if my politic that I've lived through as an abolitionist is going to like now apply to my own life and the situation, then I need to like live by that. 
and and write it out and follow through. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I will, at the end of the day, I think that transformative justice process, like, then liberated me, like, allowed me to liberate myself and, and to step out of, like, solitude. But, yeah, I would have loved to have understood completely where people felt wronged or for me to then be able to say to their face, like, you know, to take accountability and to to apologize for any and all ways that I have harmed them and to understand what is that call to action for me to do better, to do this right for them, right? Like, what can I do to make this right? Did you get no responses or did you just, did you get flat out no's? I'm not participating in this. It was a mixed bag. I think um, some of them were like, I am interested, but I don't know if I can. Another one was like a very hateful response a lot of them were no response the majority of them was just zero response and with like i made sure that we did multiple follow-ups on each one so it wasn't just like one email was sent out like okay you didn't respond bye you know like i was i was quite persistent and i try to find ways where i'm like okay like i think we need to like walk people through what a transformative justice process is so like even for folks to understand it's like you know, you work with a facilitator to be able to then debrief with you to understand what's happening. Um, that facilitator can then speak to, like, to begin a, like a transformative justice circle process, right? Um, you offer an opportunity for this process to begin. Transformative justice facilitator then speaks with the person on the other side first, um, speaks to you, and then you come together. Right. And I think it's uh, very much outlining like the community agreements of like this is not um, a form of punishment. Um, This isn't going to be um, like a place like where like more harm can be caused. Right. And I mean, the the amount of people that we reached out to. um, Yeah, I, I wish I wish we got to fully step in to it. What would you say to someone who, well, who who might feel, well, Doris, you know, um, collaborated with all these creatives and got this huge platform and like leveraged her artistic community like for her own success. I think that's like a vibe. That's like a feeling, mm-hmm. right? That you've undoubtedly heard yourself. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, what what do you or would you say to like a statement like that? I think that's the part that hurt the most because it was people that I broke bread with, that I collaborated with out of like pure intention of, I think anyone who deeply knows me and my heart knows that like I've always been rooted in like wanting this to be, this industry to be as like for us, by us as possible. And for us to all like build more room at the table for because there's enough room for all of us to eat. I've never been a competitive person. I've never like thought to even put anyone down to put myself ahead and I think like I I can say that with my whole chest that's my character that's who I am and every single person that I collaborated with either it was like a friend or I think honestly most of who posted it there were people who were like former friends of mine and especially of what was said specifically about the film that I used this film and like the use these collaborators in order to like leverage myself as like some celebrity. So like let's take it back years, years ago. The version of Doris who like sacrificed herself and was the people pleaser and put herself last. 
to like such an unhealthy place in order to like put on, put everyone else on, right? I was like running wild to put, to make everyone else's career happen. And then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and then my life changed a lot for me to then finally be like, okay, maybe I can prioritize myself. Maybe I, I can make some dreams happen for myself too. Who knows how that's going to play out? But like, let's, let's see, because I'm not gonna regret this when I'm older for like not trying. And so saying yes to the film at that time was the hope of telling our story to help millions of other families who have also been separated at the border, family members been deported, they're waiting for their residency to come. And at that time as a manager, when I said yes to the film, I was like, all right, amazing, this is gonna be a platform to put on the whole community of creatives. That was always the pure intention, the root of it all. And then where it went down the line, like I never came from a place of like, haha, I'm gonna use this person for what they're worth to continue advancing into life. Like, I don't move that way. Um, and if the if I'm gonna be perceived that way, then I have to accept that. And that, like, I think that's one of those things that like, que digan lo que digan. Like, you know what you've done and what you meant to do or your intentions were. Obviously things can go astray and that's where like, where things need to be made very clear. Mm -hmm. I know that at the end of the day, I think like my track record proves to like the years of work that I made sure to position everyone else to keep eating, to keep their careers flourishing and to the point where then it turned on me and I never, like, I think people think I had this, like, master plan of, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, like, all of a sudden ditch my career on the industry side of things in order so I can, like, strategize myself into a position of whatever, receiving the spotlight all of a sudden. But very honestly, that was thrust upon me. The, f the film found me in ways that, like, you can't even make up, like, I didn't pitch myself to be the protagonist of a documentary. Mm -hmm. And then when it came to the point of um, last year of working as an independent artist, I think anyone who is a creative, and even folks who I know who had opinions about me, I know they're not getting, they're paying people like full rates what they would pay for like a brand would pay for like no. absolutely everybody is doing homie rates and doing work for free and uh, labor swaps exactly and we call that collaboration and building community and etc etc keep listening to locatora we've got more in store after these messages as an actor a producer and a proud latino father my days can get very busy which is why i make sure to dedicate time to what's important like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when reflecting on what matters most, I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. 
State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tudor Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tudor shows wherever you get your podcast. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I'm curious too, Doris, so you hire the transformative justice Mm -hmm. facilitators and you're doing outreach to everybody who posted or engaged online Mm -hmm. with the call out in some way. Um, Those who didn't accept the invitation or who didn't participate in the transformative justice conversation, did you receive like from any of those people an unpaid invoice? Did anyone send you an invoice for, for things that they didn't get paid for? No. Did anyone send like a request for credit that they didn't receive that they were promised no. for work. I know people listening yeah. want to probably have these questions also. Was there was there any other follow-up from the folks that posted asking for something more or other than transformative justice? No. No. I think I think it was made very without me even having to say, I think it was made very clear what people just wanted to do. And what do you think that was? It is punitive forms of justice that we've been socially conditioned to participate in, whether it's shame, um, removing people from community, right? If we think about traditional forms of incarceration, right? You remove someone did something bad, right? And instead of whether it's engaging with them with like mental health support or mediation or things that abolitionists believe in, right? They're then sent, they're imprisoned, right? And they're removed from community and any ability to then advance their life in any way at that time. That's the that's the punishment, right? There wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a call to action of like, we want Doris to do this, or she did this, so she owes this, or we're calling her in to heal this and to have conversations about this because she's avoiding this. It was just a lot was thrown at the public community board for everyone to read and scroll. As we talk about this, like, 
in our podcasting career, we have had our own our own call-ins and call-outs. We've had our own experiences. Like people have gotten mad at us for different things mm-hmm. over the years in different capacities. And we've had our own, own experiences with what starts as a DM leads to like 12 emails, <laughs> you know, like calling us every name in the book. Like mm. these things, we haven't been without our own. And we've done episodes and we've addressed issues when there's been a call-out or a call-in. Like we've, you know, we've we've dealt with our own things, I think, as everybody probably does um, at one point or another in their artistic careers and in collaborating and building. And I just want to throw that out there and say that we have had our own our own fuck ups and our own issues, you know, in our own time, you know, interpersonally, creatively, it here and there, like these things happen, you know. So I want to own that, too, and claim that, you know, and I think the only way that these things have ever been resolved with us is like we've that talking one-on-one with those folks who mm-hmm. are upset with us. It's never been resolved on on Twitter no. or in Instagram comments or in the stories. Like nothing has for us ever been resolved that way. Uh, I, I find that year after year, the men, the Latino men, um, or mask presenting people in our communities often, you know, can get away with a lot of things and are not held to the same standard. Um, over and over again. And I also find that very fascinating. This is a pattern in our community, in our creative community, in our transformative justice, anti-carceral abolitionist, da, 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 all the, all the self-imposed um, labels, by the way, that we anoint ourselves with, like we knight ourselves with these, these titles, you know? Um, and um, years ago, right, Las Cafeteras had a big call out online, and that was a more severe call out those accusations were very specific a former band member who did come forward was really giving very detailed examples of abuse and controlling behavior um, during band practice etc etc right this was years ago and I remember there was a lot of promises on their end for like we're going to do a town hall we're going to do this I don't think any of that ever happened none of it happened at least to our knowledge it was painted as a public forum we're having a community town hall whether that happened privately, we don't know. Yes. I think when I was in the thick of what I was going through, I was receiving calls, text messages from loved ones who really just wanted to make sure I was okay, um, especially because if they know me and my journey with mental health and things like that, they just wanted to like make, to like reiterate, like, your, your life, we still need you, you know? And one of them specifically was said shared his own experience with like his company going through um, uh, ushering like a restorative justice, transformative justice peer, um, process. And he had said that there needs to be more transformative justice survival stories and I need you to be one of them. And I think that just like is what carried me through this whole last year of like, all right, I am not going to let this kill me first and foremost. But I think I have also accepted that the things that have happened in my life have ushered me into this purpose of like being like a living testimony, whether it was like the documentary or me sharing my story along the way that led into the documentary. Um, and then I hid away for some for a long time and I felt like my voice didn't matter anymore, that my life didn't matter anymore, that my story didn't matter anymore. And then like slowly but surely I've been receiving like little earth angel messages and reminders that they all absolutely do. And 
now to finally be in a place to like share that experience for I mean I don't think everyone's gonna go through what I went through I don't wish this upon anyone but I think another friend told me that resonated with me to like close the loop on this thought is that like she what she saw happen to me felt like a social experiment to see how people within the community responded to this and for her to understand who to trust and not to trust. And to be very clear, you know, um, this is not about like um, uh, victims of violence coming forward and sharing their story, right? This is this very gray area where like, like we've been talking about all episode, it's very vague, it's unclear, it seems very personal. They're asking for things like for you to review their legal contracts that you literally are not allowed to do. You know, like there are these things that that make this type of a, a call out like we can talk about it on its own. Right. Like, don't go like if you're listening, don't go out there and oh, you're, you're victim blaming. Nobody sent in an invoice for unpaid funds. It sounds like um, nobody asked for credit that they didn't receive. It sounds like. And when the offer for transformative justice was given. They didn't participate, right? Like that's a standalone, that's its own thing. But I feel like sometimes what happens is over the years, we've seen this too, people can create an entire um, sort of brand for themselves as like social conscious community oriented like leaders by participating in a drag or a call out. Like that's how some people make a name for themselves. I think this this is hard, you know. Yeah. I think that this was a moment, the thing that divided a lot of folks within our community. I had to accept that I became this like polarizing figure, if you will. I know that a lot of people look to me in a different way and held me at a different standard than most. And it was like, yeah, my own peers who would then participate in in something like this, but. Now that we're here a year later, it's like, what What did that do? Is the big question. I think, I think a, a really, what I'm curious about as a way to kind of close out this conversation and because you've laid out, you know, what happened, the steps you took, and now, you know, you're performing, you're releasing this EP. What does rebuilding trust look like for you? Just have a... I like to trust my intuition stronger than ever before. I have a higher level of discernment. Cross my T's, dot my I's, double check, triple check, everything. Have very, very clear conversations with every single person that I work with. And accepting that not everyone is for me and I'm not for everyone. I, I had to except that like a lot of folks that were surrounding me that I thought were my friends that called me family will then have the capability to turn around and literally the next day, like one person was with me the night that it happened, the next day they were posting about me. Yeah. So if that can happen, then I can assume anything can happen, right? And I don't wanna be, I was so closed off for some time and I was so depressed and I felt extremely alone. I isolated myself even more in Mexico. Like I went to go heal and process all of the things that just happened to me. Cause like w what happened online was paired with like 
a really bad breakup and betrayal too and I had to like fight my own urges to want to like punish as well I think like what this whole process teaches you is like how you want to then punish the people that have harmed you as well I could have gone and contado mis verdades but I didn't because I had to believe that other people are capable you have to believe that people are capable to grow and heal and do better yeah and um for every person that you know posts and participates in a call out like that um there's somebody else that has receipts on you that has an issue with you that has a gripe with you um I feel, you know, that saying that you're a villain in somebody's story. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's just a matter of sometimes people are choosing not to come and, and talk about you in public. But it's not because they don't have a reason to. You know, I think everybody everybody has their, their demons and their issues with somebody else. You know, and so it's, it's, a, it, it's a choice ultimately, right? Like whether you air out the personal issue publicly or whether you reach out and talk about it one-on-one. -on -one. It's a choice. Yeah, and again, to reiterate what you said, that this the exception is victims of violence. Like, let's be very clear on that. I think, uh, I do believe sometimes it does have to get to a point where women have to keep each other safe, right? And they're warning each other of, like, abusive men for, so let's, let's minimize, like, all the DV cases possible, right? But... When it's, yeah, this vague, nuanced area, it's like this very gray area, what what can we do to try to to move forward as a community? If, like, we, the countless conversations that I have had about this, people were asking, well, yeah, like, what did the community do for, like, aftercare? I think that it's it's a lot harder to actually walk the talk and, and actually pr implement the praxis and not just the theory that we always talk about here on Locatora Radio. If you made it this far, thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time. Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, is executive produced and hosted by me, Mala Munoz, and Diosa Femme. Story editing by me, Diosa. Audio editing by Stephanie Franco. Thank you to our locamores, our listeners, for all of your support. chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com slash with amex what the world needs now is positivity connecting relating and being human together is where it's at hi there honey german and i know life happens but trust you got this and state farm got us it feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app.
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.